0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of 16 Minutes, our show where we cover the latest news the A6 and Z way from our vantage point in tech. I'm Sonal. And this week, we're doing one of our deep dive episodes into one topic, but it actually covers a variety of domain areas and recent headlines, which is the annual consumer electronics show or CES 2020, which just wrapped last week. And since our theme here is to tease apart what's hype, what's real, I wanted to do a super fast pulse check with A6 and Z board partner Steven Sanofsky, who writes a detailed field trip report every year. Year, which you should check out on his site. Learning by shipping. The other article that was background for this episode is Eight Big Takeaways from CES by Dieter Bon on The Verge. But first, let me quickly summarize the big takeaways from these pieces, beginning with the subhead of Stephen's article that quote CES continues to be an event where you can see the raw materials of the next big thing far more often than you can see the next big thing quote. So it's more the primordial soup, and a lot of the components in the ecosystem have yet to be built out or mature. And the other meta theme was that there was No one next big thing. By the way, a lot of other stuff happened in and around CES, just so you know, including the Quibi launch, Sonos suing Google, and other news, but we're going to only focus on stuff that was actually there versus announced. And some trends that were big there, but that we don't cover in this episode include sex tech, elderly care, and health monitoring devices, a topic we already covered in our past wearables episode. So with that, now let's break down the latest episodes on the following trends. Screens, displays, 8 k 5G, oh my gosh, insert any two-letter acronym here, transportation, batteries, Internet of Things, and smart everything. We're going to spend more time on the first one and then end with the last few lightning round style and bottom line each one as we go. All right, let's go. So let's start with the first big trend, screens. Give me your high-level takeaway, what's hype, what's real, or anything you want to say there.
1: Sure, well, screens, of course, are the heart and soul of the Consumer Electronics Show. I mean, television was always a big thing. And then along came... Displays for computers. And then with flat screens, the technology for television and the technology for computers merged. Ah. Because television became high resolution, especially in Europe before the US. And all of a sudden, like displays became a big deal. Like, this is like Samsung and LG and Sony and Sharp are just busy making better screens. And so, it's very clear that that's a starting point of innovation. It's the primary way we interact with all the devices. But the thing that's been going on for the past five years or so has been like, well, we're so tired of our screens being flat. And also they're fragile. So they've been trying to make screens that aren't as fragile and that are bendable. Now, it turns out nobody knows why. So that for a while, like one year, they were making signage. If you had like a big round column or a curved part of a building, you could wrap the screen. But one of the makers of curved screens was Samsung. Turns out the other half of Samsung, like the biggest business, is making phones. And so people are like, oh, we should just put these flexible screens in phones. Right, that's why
0: they actually launched the
1: first folded phone about six months ago. Right, I think a little bit longer, which had sort of a checkered launch and a bunch of difficulties. Yeah, they're trying something hard and new. It's hard and new, but the problem you get into is that... In the current marketing area, you have to sort of launch it big. So they do that, and then it backfires. Yeah, totally. And so then everybody's like all jaded. And of course, they didn't just go, oh, the first one didn't work, like time to go home. Because they have a giant flexible screen factory they built, and they're going to figure out a use for them. So now there's new prototypes and new products that are going to come to market. Mobile World Congress is going to have a bunch of phones. So that's what's real. They do fold. They do fold now. And it turns out when you walk around, there's like a lot of people from Korea at the show. And all of them have these phones now. So I was doing like all these sneaky usability observer tests. And what did you observe? Well, I observed that this is not necessarily the right first use case for the device. Ah, interesting. The thing about the display is that it's super cool when you unfold it and it gets twice as big as your phone. Because like if you want to watch a movie or something, it's great. Right. But the problem is that's not the primary way you use the phone. And so the primary way you use the phone is now like slowed down. By the opening and the unfolding. Yes. I sat next to a guy the Keynote, fold, unfold, fold, unfold. <laughs> like every time his phone vibrated, unfold, unfold, yeah. fold, unfold. It's even more subtle than that because now you can't type. So the interaction paradigms remain. It's really suboptimal. And so then to solve the fold, unfold, they put a third screen on it. And so now you have three screens or one or an average of 1.5 screens. And either it weighs too much or it's just the battery doesn't last long enough. Yeah. And the reason that they started with phones is because That's the obvious place to start because that's the biggest volume, which volume is everything in the making of displays. So then everybody's like, okay, we know what we need to do. We need to grow our market. And so now there's like a whole bunch of we should make folding PCs. And so Dell, Lenovo, and Intel starts the ball rolling. The first two are super interesting, the Dell and Lenovo. And basically these are what you would call like B5 sized computers. A4 is a sheet of letter paper. B5 is like half that. It's sort of like a mini-ish tablet size if it's folded. And then you unfold it, and then you have like 11-inch, 12-inch notebook. The problem is you don't have a place for the keyboard. And then the Intel one unfolds to a 17-inch computer. They made it expensive because they wanted to put a core i9, blah, 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 something or other in it to make it power. But that thing is, is that right now, look, if you're on the go and you need to look at something, you're not taking out your laptop anymore. 90% of the time, I'm going to use my phone. And then when I stop and I need to work... I'm going to take out my laptop. And so having a big, powerful computer, even if the battery life is only six or eight hours, makes a ton of sense It does make a ton of sense. And then the fact that it folds means you might take it on a trip and you might not take your iPad. And so the idea that these become mainstream high-performance computers Uh with big enough screens, the same way that laptops eventually overtook desktops, it was just because, well, you could carry it around. And I think that might be where folding screens are. It's just because everything is going to be a touch surface. Everything, everywhere. It's going to be like Minority Report, and you're going to touch on stuff everywhere you go. And then there'll be augmented ones later, which I also saw. So, okay, bottom line it for me. In your post, you describe
0: this journey from folding phones to PCs to displays to new devices and scenarios. Where are we right now,
1: and where do you think we're going? So right now, the phone companies are all going to try phones. PCs will come next. And then the folding screens are going to find many, many more uses yeah. because the costs have come down, they're easy to power, they're small, they're thin and light. And the flexibility is cool because the world is flexible.
0: I've always been a big proponent of flexible electronics. It's always been my favorite theme. Let's do 8K. So you wrote basically, and to sum it up, your post on this, it's basically the best of times and the worst of times for 8K. And you made the argument that you know the content needs work, but that it's the worst of times because of software bloat. You also made the observation that there are more OLEDs and LCDs
1: Right. So here's the deal. Screens, because they're now made in the silicon factories, are on Moore's Law, too. And actually, in fact, even the production process is basically Moore's Law. So we're going to have 8K. It's just that the K sort of starts from the big and gets small. And so everything is gonna have like super high pixel density and be able to show everything and it'll be great. But the problem is that TVs are too smart and it's an industry where the production is too fragmented, the margins are too small, the need to have software in the TV slows down innovation. And then many people are concerned about privacy. Having that software there from a company whose primary job is not protecting your privacy feels uncomfortable. It's another vector of attack. It just seems like an unnecessary risk. I think that we're all going to be a little better off if we could just put one box. Like, sure, I want to get rid of my cable box. I'd rather have a cable from the wall or a cable from a router or no cable. But when all the apps change or security changes, we just get a different box. So bottom line it for me. And so the bottom line on eight K is it's gonna happen and it won't cost more.
0: So now let's do five G, another big acronym, trendy keyword. You basically described in your post that people are conflating three things Wi Fi six, five G at current mobile frequency, and new millimeter five G. What's the significance and what's hype what's real when it comes right. to
1: five G? So okay, so another thing that's gonna happen, like if four G is good, five G is better, don't fight it, don't yeah. complain about it. Like it's all good, and the reason this is super important is because companies, the twenty carriers around the world, are spending a hundred or more billion dollars a year to roll yeah. this out. It's a highway system, or it's transportation at a national level, and so it's going to happen. So the thing is, is that of course it all starts at the last mile, and the last mile is where there's a little bit of battle, and that's what's causing the conflation of all these things. Ah, because the that's fantastic. I, the IEEE is off figuring out Wi-Fi, and of course there was A, B, G, N, A, C this March, and so the sixth one is Wi-Fi six AX. Now the thing is, is that everybody has got Wi-Fi at home. You connect all your devices. Average consumer has anywhere from fifty to two hundred was the number I heard. It seems crazy because I don't even have two hundred. But a lot of companies are like, hey, maybe you could just put a five G cell access point in your house and then just connect everything over five G. So like I would have to get like a SIM card for my Roku TV. And of course, then they want to solve all these problems, and it's it's very complicated. So Wi-Fi is here to stay. So now, of course, the Wi-Fi router companies are going to make commodity access points that take your inbound 5G signal with a SIM card and then does the last 100 feet with Wi-Fi. Some people in some locations might actually get by on 5G, because think about it. Most people can watch like Netflix over their LTE 4G connection today. Now, what happens if your whole city block or your whole apartment building try to do it at the same time at nine o'clock at night? And so then that's the third thing, which is called millimeter 5G, which is different frequencies around the world. But it's a way of having like a much lower power signal so that like your toaster can have 5G or whatever. The problem with that is these wavelengths, they don't even make it through like your bathtub. Like these things bounce off everything. So now you have to go put gear in your house to keep that signal propagating through your home. Well, what's the bottom line then for 5G? Well, the bottom line is it's going to happen on our phones, and our phones are already equipped with Wi-Fi 6, which is cool. That's never happened before. Usually the routers come first. And then this millimeter thing, slow burn. But it's not like rural, and it's not suburban. You're going to have to build out for 5G millimeter.
0: Great. So last one, and then we'll do a lightning round on the very last few. Transportation. So I find this really interesting because in the last few years, CES has become a de facto car show. And this year you wrote that the car, quote, stole the show. And so I'm curious for your take on that.
1: So the car that stole the show, which everybody's talked about, was that Sony, you know, the Japanese consumer electronic yes. maker had a car, and it was actually a really good-looking car. It was like a total vision presentation. And they talked all about the sensors and entertainment and all that other stuff, but it had everybody's attention because it was Sony who made a car. So the other thing, of course, voice is now so ubiquitous. Also ubiquitous is that it doesn't quite work, and of nobody course. knows when to use it or yeah. how to use it. Yeah. Or, and so the cars all have Alexa in them, which they need to because the maps and the navigation and music are all coming from your phone in CarPlay and Android Car, Android Auto. And if you want to change the thermostat or open the windows, they need a way to do it, so they're putting Alexa in. But I don't really want another microphone in my car, and it gets really confusing over which one you're listening to. Yeah, I hear you. Although it does seem like voice is the way to control the car. Oh, it's going to happen. Like, this is another one where people just expect it to all work, and part of it is that Amazon did such a great job on playing music and what time is it and setting a timer and give me the headlines and 10 other things that everybody just extrapolated. Of course, for 60 years, voice has been the first 10% is magical and easy. It's the edge that gets And then 90% of it is this very, very long slog. And we're actually still going through that with voice. And then the other cars, I always find weirder every year. Are people who make like LiDAR going to really close a deal at CES? And you can't really cover it because you have to kind of be a physicist to understand what it's doing. But... The real transportation that does make sense is super interesting, and it's the convergence of consumer electronics and, like, micromobility.
0: Ah, so tell me about that. What's the significance there?
1: So Eurobike is a big show for all the big global bike manufacturers. But now, all of a sudden, bikes have apps, and bikes have CPUs, and bikes need helmets with flashing CPUs and controlled by the app, and they're consumer electronics devices. So the show is literally littered with... Micromobility devices, two wheels, four wheels, scooters, wagons, covered, uncovered, you know, for rent, for ownership, for use in a private university. Carrying so groceries. So. Carrying <clears throat> groceries, carrying people. And it's amazing. There are so many your head spins. And there are companies you know about like Segway and 50 companies with the exact same scooter with slightly different paint that you think all came from the same factory, which is exactly your experience on Amazon. What's the bottom line on micromobility at well, CES Well, I'm a here? huge fan of micromobility. I scooter all around Palo Alto. I rent them when I'm in the city. I think that they're here to stay, modulo, the regulatory framework that really does need to get put in place, share the road, the whole deal. So I think that the thing that I'm looking for is there needs to be some notion of safety around the manufacture and sale of these. And so there's gonna be a natural oversight that happens from brand names and things like that. But they're super advanced now. They have like stuff like AI for when you turn your head, the turn signal comes on, all sorts of stuff.
0: Okay, so now we're going to do the last couple just lightning round styles. So for home automation and the Internet of Things, which has been kind of a recurring theme every year, it feels like more of the same. I loved a line where you said, this year reinforced for me that the journey needs a break. Yeah. What did you mean by that, and what's the bottom line on home automation and Internet of Things this year?
1: Okay, if i said it in one sentence, I would say, home automation only works for geeks. And what really needs to happen is someone needs to think about what it would be like to automate a home when you build it from scratch. Because that's the way that this is really going to work. Right, because
0: you observe that homes are designed on 10 to 20-year cycles and tech moves much faster.
1: Tech moves much faster. But I would say home security, the subset of home automation is working phenomenally well. So devices like Ring and things, or? Ring, and even the legacy players like ADT, and the supply chain, the peace dividend from smartphones all help them. And so what's gonna happen there is they will gradually encroach on automation because they're related, like a door or a fence, they're related, and all the good ones are working with the people who build homes. So it's getting built in with new kinds of power over ethernet rather than multiple wires and things like that. So
0: natively in that ecosystem, that's fantastic. Okay, so lightning round, huge hard one. Cameras, which you're a camera file.
1: So cameras, it's all about mirrorless. Mirrorless is where it's at. Can you tell me what is mirrorless and what's the significance of it? Right. So an SLR is a single lens reflex camera. Right. And, and so, digital SLRs. Right. DLSR, so what you SLR. see is what you see in the viewfinder is actually what's coming through the lens, bounced up in a mirror through the viewfinder, and that's an old invention that really pioneered photography. And the mirror literally moves up and down. So mirrorless gets rid of the mirror and the sensor obviously, because it's a digital sensor now, it can become like what you see. So what you see is literally what the sensor sees, which makes pictures taking faster. So the the frame rate is faster. The other big thing is that lenses can let in more light because they can be closer to the film plane, so to speak.
0: That's great. And then on batteries, because you had a little closing thing about energy and batteries, you actually made a meta observation that you underestimated
1: digital cameras, GPS, and USB. USB-C has now become the AC outlet of the home, which is the most unbelievable thing that I know. no one would have. Everything is batteries now. There's two things that you really need to think about. Everything is battery powered, and those batteries are charged by USB-C. But the thing about batteries and power is that we're at a crossover where homes are going to be able to be run off batteries. And this 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 is all into Powerwall and Elon Musk and all that. But all these battery companies that currently make stuff, these things are very mainstream. So now you'll be able to go and online order like six of them, stack them in your garage, and then, you know, hire an electrician from the town and just move the wires over. And if there's a blackout, you could just go flip the switch yourself. No loud generator, no generator maintenance. And then you could run your house for four hours or eight hours or 12 hours or just your refrigerator. They're unbelievable.
0: What's the bottom line on
1: that? The bottom line is batteries are everything. They're just everything.
0: So, okay, I have to ask you something really funny because your post mentioned that another meta theme was smart anything, which seems to be a recurring theme altogether at CES every year. And there even was a smart potato, and you even showed a photo of it in your post. And this blew my mind because it felt very performative, like the banana with masking tape that was stuck up on the wall at Art Basel Miami this year. That literally felt like that to me.
1: Well, I'm sitting in a booth in the entrepreneur section over in the Sands Hall, and there's like guys in lab coats. Talking about the world's smartest potato. And there's like a ring of people watching this demo. And I can't decide if this is <laughs> real or fake. Is fate. it like
0: performance Well, I,
1: I'm looking around. I'm like, are they filming the reaction of yeah. the people watching Like, So basically, he's just doing the old potato lights a light bulb thing. Yeah, the which part. all the kids do in school. Right, exactly. And then instead, it's just hooked up to Bluetooth. And it's sending like a random number to Bluetooth. And the app is like a magic eight ball app. And it says... Hi, I'm, and it fills in a name for the potato, and I'm feeling moody today. Oh or my I'm God. So it's sad. actually anthropomorphizing the potato? Right. And then and there's a brochure. It's like, uh, this is the first potato mood detector. And I, and I literally, and so I'm looking around and I started to think, oh my God, what they did is they just had this whole thing in like a backpack, and they're literally squatting on an empty booth. And it's like they're pranking all of CES with this. Yeah, but that wasn't
0: what they were doing or they were. I I
1: left, I have no, I didn't even go look it up to see if they were like a legit exhibit. yeah. And like, there, of course, there's no ordering information. There's no address. But like, it was just funny what you can do with the smart kits that are out there.
0: Well, it's fascinating because there is an underlying reality to it, the not hype part. And you mentioned this in your post, which is that it reflects the reality of the supply chain and the ODM channel, the original device manufacturers.
1: Right, no doubt
0: about it. Okay, so Stephen, bottom line it for me, what is your biggest takeaway from the show overall?
1: Innovation is still happening. It's just don't expect the next big thing. And if you get really disappointed, you're looking at it wrong. Thank you so much for doing this segment, Stephen. Thank you so much.